praise of his wonderful name. Hallelujah. Time to somebody tell me it's time for the blessing of the word. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 All right. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise God. Bless you. So today the Lord has blessed us. The Lord has blessed us with his servant. He's a dear brother to me. Very dear to me. He's a very dear family to my heart and to the Hope community and their friends. You will come to know them better as time goes by. We receive them, they, they come from Redeemer, Redeemer Church, but they are such a blessing today. They are part and parcel of us in Jesus' name. They are the, lead, they are the, the ones who are leading, the John and Peggy, they are the ones who are leading the healing room teams. Team and they are such a blessing in this particular place. So these are people who are taking the sacrifice of making sure we are continuing interceding for the people who are unwell. So that's why I didn't pray for the sick. We only pray for those ones who had submitted their names because I would like them to pray for the sick. At the end of the day, there's a special anointing upon them in Jesus' name. So I will welcome John. He will, he, will, he will introduce his wife. I will not do the job of introducing his wife and to us, but he will do that particular bit himself. But let him come over. We pray for him as he comes to minister in Jesus' name. Brother Randolph, can you come and pray for this man of God in Jesus' name? Then you'll be free to move on. Amen. Introduce Peggy unto us. Let's extend our hearts and our hands towards John as he ministers God's word to us. Thank you, Father, that you've called your servant and you've anointed him. Thank you, Father, for the word that you've placed in his heart. We pray that as he speaks, we shall hear your voice. Thank you that our hearts will be opened and enlightened to what you have to say to us today. Thank you, Father, that John should minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we shall be re receive exactly what you have to say to us. Thank you, Father. Bless our hearts and bless all those who are here today. Because to hear is to believe. And to believe is to be restored and have life. Thank you, Father, your word brings life and gives life. Thank you, Father, we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Try to follow Sam's strict instructions. Um, I'm sure I've disobeyed her, but it seems to be on. It is on. And she said, she's very clear. She said, wait. <laughs> she said, wait just a few moments before you speak. So I've tried to obey that. I may have disobeyed her. I sense a, a real family, community spirit here in this church. I haven't actually attended one of the services here for quite some time. Peggy is with me today and we are, have the privilege and the honour to be able to lead healing rooms here within this church. And I say within this church because you are a generous church. You know that. You're a generous church. You're a generous hearted church. You allow the facilities and the room to be used for the healing rooms. And you've done that for many, many years. And as you know, after you refurbished the building, the building was closed for a year, we restarted some eight months ago. And, you know, that is a power and a testament in this building for this area. And I might come back to that a bit later. But I just thank you for that introduction, Paul and Randolph, for that praying for me, because I just feel it's a privilege and a pleasure to be here this morning. And I really mean that. My name is John, and that is Peggy, I'll repeat that. Um, I've known Phil and Daphne um, for many years, and we've known them over a long time, even in the previous church they were at. And it's just always been a privilege to know them as well. And it's a privilege just to be here. Um, just a little bit about myself is that, you know, we all have a journey and we all have a story. I think. If we haven't got a story, and that story should be something around your testimony and the way God has used you over the years and he's brought you forward. And some of us have different starting points. Some of you will be Christians for a long time. Some of you will be Christians for a later time. 
And sometimes you don't even know that God is been using you and powerfully anointing you. And sometimes you don't even know that's happening, but God has had his hands on your shoulders. If I could give you a little testimony about myself, and I always sort of, I haven't actually given this for quite a long time, like actually many, many years. But just this whole thing about where God is intervening in your life specifically. He intervenes generally. Um, as a young boy, probably eight years old, we weren't, I wasn't in a particularly well-off family. I had, there were five brothers and one sister in my family. Um, we, we, we just had very ordinary surroundings. And I, in the morning, as such a young boy, so, well, in the evening, I should say, in the evening, I used to sing. Um, and I don't know what I was singing. It was an old song, an old songs, a series of songs. And my brothers, quite rightly, told me to shut up quite regularly. That's because I stopped them going to sleep. And I didn't know what I was singing, but I was just singing. I, was just, I, I think I was a reasonably happy boy. And after a few years, that faded. And after a few years, my brother's telling me to shut up, it stopped. But later on as an adult, before I was a Christian, I was in church um, with Peggy. And I hadn't heard this for a while. And I heard someone speaking in tongues. And they were singing songs. And they were praying in, in, in tongues. And I immediately knew what that was. I instantly knew what it was. Because it was the tongue that I had as an eight-year-old. But I hadn't appreciated it. I hadn't understood it. And I could immediately speak in tongues. And I'm telling you that because that's the way God has this habit of intervening. And we have to know about the interve that intervention point. And I realized, wow, you know, was I a Christian when I was praying in tongues like that? I wasn't, actually. Because I hadn't acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ. But I was a Catholic, and I went to church regularly, mainly because my mother forced us to go to church. I, if you didn't go to church, that was trouble. I also went to Sunday school, but, and that was in a Catholic school. Catholic church head school, I should add. Um, did that do me any harm? None whatsoever. I can remember being taught by the priest. As much as we have challenges uh, with other churches sometimes, that was of great value to me, and I remembered it, and I remember it today. Even though, obviously, I've, I left the Catholic Church many years later. I even served as an altar boy in the church. Can you imagine me sitting on the altar a couple of years there? But I remember also, as a follow-up experience, being in that church and saying, where is God? Big congregation, a lot more people in that church than um, you are here this morning. But I remember asking, where is God? And God answered me that day and says, actually, if you seek me, you'll find me. And that's all I remember. And as a young person at the time, and as I wasn't a Christian as an altar boy, but I was a server. I was trying to serve. But my mother made me do it, I should add. <laughs> so, as we try and look at some of these things, and we try and look at where God intervenes, I've got an announcement to make is that we have a mouse in our house, okay? Amen. <laughs> 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 Discovered the mouse a couple of days ago, um, and after all the hysterics and Peggy knew about it, get Peggy out of the kitchen, um, because these, have you ever found, if you've got a mouse in the house, they're actually very hard to find. I'm sure you've had that experience. Can you trap that mouse? Okay? They're faster than we are. Very fast. And I saw, I've only the only one who's seen the mouse. I've made sure Peggy hadn't seen the mouse because they'll, you know, I don't know what will break out if she sees it. But I've told her about it. And now I have to go down in the morning first, check the room out before she will enter the kitchen. Do you understand? Well, I think you're with me on this. Well, yesterday I saw the mouse again. Okay? And I thought, Peggy, you better go out the kitchen. I've seen the mouse. Okay, she disappeared. And I realized, though, that I wonder sometimes, and I, what I want to talk about this morning is God's promises and whether we can rely on his promises and whether we can wait to receive those promises. And I, for a moment, thought I was the mouse because I opened the kitchen door wide and I said, if you don't want any more trouble, go out through the door, okay? You know, mouse, they're not very obedient. Um, but nevertheless, 
the mouse I don't think left. He's in the kitchen somewhere. Wherever he's hiding, there aren't any holes. There's nowhere really going to hide under covers, I guess. But he refuses to exit the kitchen door. And somehow I just had this picture of, that's God's promise. Okay, that's a big door, it's a big opening. But the mouse prefers to cower in the corner somewhere. He prefers to hide. And, the pro and if you could just imagine that door, and it's a big door, he could exit. He could go to safety through there. And you know he's not safe in the kitchen. He thinks he is, but he's not. Because he doesn't trust me. If you can imagine that door is the promise, he doesn't trust me that I'm saying, go through there and you'll be in safety. And sometimes I think myself, we could be in the corner, we could be cowering as the mouse, because we don't really trust God for his promises. We don't really trust him that the other side of that door, um, he's going to reveal his perfect will for us, and he's going to benefit us when we pass through. I wish I could persuade the mouse. I don't think I can, because he would be a lot better off, because now I've got to chase him. And, he doesn't, and he's not able to undertake that freedom that he's going to find if he can just get through that door. And I sometimes think God's promises are a little bit like that. We know about the promises. The mouse knows about the door, for sure. But we won't pass through because we're fearful, we're uncertain what's on the other side. And anyway, that promise doesn't necessarily apply to us. But that's not true. So, do you think God has got a hand in your life? Do you think he's got a hand? Now, I can sense it from this morning. God's got a hand in your life, I think, from the worship and the tremendous sort of atmosphere and the Holy Spirit atmosphere that's here. I can sense that, obviously. But... I have found myself that if there's anything I know about God, that he has more to reveal to us, constantly revealing new things. He's not static or stopped in one position. He's going to actually see new things to show us. And I wonder if we can rely even on the promises of the Old Testament of God. I want to read 2 Chronicles 20, 26 to you. Um, and this is about the King Jehoshaphat. And I'll just go straight into it and I'll read it straight off. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar. Jehoshaphat, very alarmed, resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together, and together they um, came in every town from Judah to seek him. Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the one who is the God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are your hand and no one can withstand you. Oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They've lived in it and built a sanctuary for your name. If calamity comes upon us, whether through the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when you came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and didn't destroy them. <coughs> See how they are repaying us by coming out to drive us out of the possession you've given us. O oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army. We don't know what to do, but your, our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehazel, son of Jechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaiah, a Levite and descendant of Asphath, as he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, on all those that live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, because this vast army um, is not your problem, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up near a pass, you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert. But you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will give you for Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground 
And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. And there's some Levites from the um, Kodathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud, loud voice. The following morning they left for the desert, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And as the, as, um, the people began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites raised up, raised up against the men from Seir to destroy and annihilate them, and then they destroyed each other. And when the men of Judah came to that place that overlooks the desert, and looked towards this vast army, they were, only, they were all dead. They were dead bodies, lying on the ground. None had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and the people carried off the plunder. So when we turn to God and ask him to intervene, he can intervene. Because, but this is in the Old Testament. Can we believe the promise that of restoration and rescue that's in the Old Testament. Can we believe it for us today? Is it possible? Or is it something that happened literally thousands of years ago and is very distant and, a, and in fact a, a dim memory? It's here, we believe it, but we don't necessarily believe it for ourselves today. I wonder where we sit on that. Can we believe those promises? Now, and can we even say that the Old Testament promises apply to me? Are they powerful? Do they remain powerful? And yet, as we go through um, the Testaments themselves, we see many of the promises that God has made to Israel. Do any of these apply to us? But, in fact, if we look at them, is it okay to trust that God is going to uphold us, strengthen us, and take us forward and through some of the emergencies that we sometimes face? You see, in Galatians 3, it says there's a changeless, changeless promise. And this is Paul speaking. He said, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant. If it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. It doesn't say to seeds as of many, as of one. He says, to your seed, who is Christ. And I say that the law, which is 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. <coughs> For if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. A bit of a confusing statement in some respects, a bit hard to follow. But did you know that you're the seed of Abraham through Christ? We're actually the seed of Abraham. Abraham who lived 4,000 years ago the promise that God had given to Abraham still applies to us today. And in fact, that might sound, and it does sometimes sound, ridiculous. <coughs> There's quite a mix of backgrounds and races here in this room. How can you, from all parts of the world, I'm not saying you've come from those parts, but your, your fathers and mothers might have done so at some point. And my, my mother was from Ireland. My father was from Liverpool. So how can they, and how can I, be a seed of Abraham? But we have to remember that God's promise isn't something that can just be snapped and thrown away. God's promise stands forever. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. And it's a challenge constantly for us to be refreshed and reminded that we are heirs to Abraham's promise through Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Jesus Christ have the promise. And those promises, in the Old Testament in particular, apply to us. We can claim them. Some would say, you can't claim the promises of the Old Testament. I can't agree with that. We can claim them, because they're ours. In 1 Peter 5.9 it says, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same sort of suffering that you are. 
You see, in earlier verses, Peter said, we must submit to those in authority. We must obey the authority. We must pay our taxes. But when it comes to the devil, we must resist the devil at all times. We do the exact opposite of submission. So if we're submitting to our authorities, that's one thing. But we never submit to the enemy at any time, any moment. We will always fight with the enemy. So we have to stand on our faith. I wonder how strong our faith is. And maybe our faith might waver one day, one week, one month. It may be stronger than others. That's the way things are because things sometimes come against us. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Again, why does Paul say the promises of God have got a yes in it? That's a strange statement really. A yes? How can you have a yes in a sentence? But that's what Paul says. If you want to know whether the promises of God can be claimed by us, Paul says, yes, amen. We have to agree with it. Can you say yes, amen with me? Yes, amen. In fact, as I was reading this, in preparing this, I kept saying that out to myself. Yes, amen. What does that mean? Yes, amen. I repeated it many times. Because as we hear the promise, yes, we're in agreement. Yes, we can claim the promises of God. It's a pretty big thing to understand what it is to be in Christ. Okay, United to Christ, bound in Christ through those promises. If you're unclear and can't quite grasp those claims, there's quite a, f- a few um, references we could look at. But I know that I can claim my place in the promise of God. Because I know that God has an interest in each and every one of us here. You know that already. But sometimes you don't quite know the extent to where God is going to take you because of the great interest he has in your life and what he wants you to do within his will. In Christ Jesus, you've been seated in the heavenly places even while he lived on earth. And in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes for you. And all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you're being sanctified and made holy. And to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 1-2. In Christ Jesus, everything you really need will be supplied. Philippians 4-19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Philippians 4.7 The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus you have eternal life. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first part of this I just want you to be encouraged to cling to the promises of God. Cling to them. Hold on to them. Don't let them go. Because God doesn't make a promise. And later on, I wouldn't say, you know, you you imagine God doesn't break promises. But they just sometimes slip away. They're no longer as strong as they were. They're no longer something that we can get our hands around. And yet God says, cling to the promises of God. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. God, I believe, has a greater work to do in every single one of us. I don't care how young you are how old you are, God has a greater work to do yet. And I will never accept when someone says that, you know, I've been in ministry for a while, I've been doing this, that and the other, I can no longer move on. I can't agree with it. Because God has a greater work to do in us. But sometimes as we try and hold on to those promises, that we have to wait a while, we have to sit a while, we have to sit down and say, what is it? Sometimes, you know, people don't even know what they're waiting for. They struggle to know what to ask from God. But we actually have to wait for the things that we're going to raise up to Him. If you've got children, the last thing the children want to hear is, not now. Wait. You'll get it later, if at all. Because a child always wants 
something fairly quickly. And we live in a world where there is pressure, isn't there, to do things quickly, quite understandably. If you're a nurse in a hospital, you can't wait. I've got to go and you dress a wound on a patient. You can't say, well, I'm just going to wait on God to hear what he's going to say about this. You've got to get on with it. There's, there's an action world around us that's actually pretty important. And we can be under pressure. Things in business quite often have to be done quickly. We can't wait. There are things that are important to get done. The driver of the bus has to drive that bus. And he has to drive it to a timetable. The baker has to bake bread to bring it in the morning. Otherwise, you won't be able to buy very much. You certainly won't get it much in, in Tesco or all the big stores because they've got to get it to a schedule. <coughs> so we do live in a world where there is a timetable. There is a time frame. Even this morning, you've got a time frame. You have to work like that. That's, that's where we are. But there's also a time of waiting that God actually invites us to move into. Carving out some times of waiting and pausing to know what it was that he... We're not very used to waiting, do you know that? We don't like waiting for the bus very much, although the bus service isn't too bad. It's reasonably reliable, except when I want to get a bus. But um, while society... See, society tends to make an attempt to make things easier for us. They pretend to bring out gadgets that make things go faster. They don't really, but we'll buy things we think it's more efficient. You see, um, God actually is changing us even when nothing seems to be happening. If you're waiting, God it quite often is working on you through that waiting period. See, Adam and Eve um, really rebelled against God because they didn't necessarily believe that God had their best interests in mind. But of course he did all along. So they decided to go ahead and do what they wanted, and they became their own God. They made their own decisions. And too often we do this today. We can't help it sometimes. We just go off and do it. We don't even think about referencing it to God. But turning back to the story of Jehoshaphat, you see, Jehoshaphat, the king that called on God with the whole of the people of Judah, said that if you don't intervene, Lord, we're finished because we can't resist this army. So God said, put together the army you have, but go ahead with praise and thanksgiving at the front of the army. <coughs> so they praised and thanked God, and the army followed. But they didn't have much of an army. So when we stand up, and he was in a defensive position, Jehoshaphat, he, had to, he was afraid. He didn't know quite what was going to happen, but he decided in faith he'd move out. And of course he had the victory. Jehoshaphat actually was considered to be one of the better kings of Judah. He wasn't perfect, but he removed a lot of the um, idols and idol worship that was in the land. But he didn't remove all of it, and the Bible makes it quite clear. He didn't take it all away. So, so he was in a defensive position in that story. Later, 25 years down the road or so, he decided that he'd strike up an alliance with another king, and it didn't end well. It ended very badly. So when you're in a defensive position, you call on God. But when he was in an offensive position, he thought he had it all sorted out. Then things went badly wrong because he consulted and had an alliance with another king and didn't consult God. And his kingdom and his reign was soon over. So we're, we need to understand that God has the, his best interests for us. And we need to trust him and to find ways to accomplish what we'd like to happen because we believe what we like to happen is lining up with what God wants and there's a tendency to put God to one side we push him off to one side and we create a distance between ourselves and him in our relationship it says in Mark 8 36 what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul see God wants us to learn how to follow him so our, we've got a demanding self. Do you know in, inside you you've got a demanding self? You want this. But God wants to calm that down and to say, wait. And you'll see an answer in due time. And that time of waiting can be, needs to be sometimes a time of silence. We don't choose to wait quite often. We'd rather not wait. But God is merciful and understands us. <laughs> He knows we're impatient. He knows we're impetuous. He knows we want to move forward. But 
we can either choose to wait on God and do what he wants, or we can choose to move ahead and leave him behind. So if you stay at your appointed place where God says stay, that's one thing. Or if you move ahead um, and go at his appointed place and say go. So there's a stop, a stay, a go with God. If he says go, um, it's not impetuous, it's not despairing, we move ahead. And what we need to do is to ask God for humility and for trust. Certainly the mouse doesn't trust me. But we, as the mouse, we are the mice. We need to trust God. We need to trust that he has the best interest in mind. I do have the best interest of the mouse in mind. I'd like him to exit, okay? Because he's going to be better off. So trust is understanding some things about God. That God is a loving God. He's also powerful. He's those two characteristics together. And yet, a silence as we wait is, it can be very, very powerful. Because a number of things will happen um, when, we're, when, we are, when, the, when we understand that there's a time of refreshing and renewal during that time of waiting. See, God wants to see, have you got the commitment to see things through? You see, Christianity is about the long haul not the short haul. You may hear that those that receive Jesus Christ even moments before their death will go to heaven. But for most of us, and that's okay, because that's his grace that will save people, but for most of us, we're here for the long haul. We want to see long haul results and outcomes in our lives. It says in Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may, you may abound in every good work. You see, you're not at the mercy of your circumstances. You think, I do this, something happens. I do that, and something else happens. But God is able to do so much more for us if we'd only believe in him. Some of the greatest figures in the Bible, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, they all had to wait for many, many years for God's promises. Abraham had to wait 25 years to see Isaac. 25 years, it's a long time to me. I must admit, it does seem a while, you know. But sometimes we need to wait for outcomes. If I could tell you that some years ago, I had a uh, cousin, and she was diagnosed with multiple cirrhosis quite early on in her life, and she's had four children, and that MS seemed to come upon her and stiffen her back, slow her, her movements down. And I've got to tell you that from quite a young boy, I prayed for her for something like 25 years. That that MS wouldn't get any worse. That she'd still be a mother and still be able to bring the family up. Well, all I can say, and I'm sure there was others praying for her, that that's exactly what happened. I had to be in there for the long haul. I've got to be honest with you, I didn't quite know what I was doing. But I regularly prayed for her that God would have a hand on her, would, would sustain her, would strengthen her, and that she would come through as a mother over those years. And that's exactly what happened. She wasn't entirely well all her time, but MS didn't get take control of her. Amen. Didn't her. So we've got to understand that we are here, I, I will repeat it many times, <coughs> for the long haul. We're not here for short-term pleasures. We're here for the long haul. We're going to get results from being, and being sticky people, people who stick in there. And as we have to wait for people, so it is that, um, see Moses, I mean if you look at Moses for a moment, he managed to kill a man, one of, one of, the, one of these sort of um, people that were guarding the slaves through, through his impetuous behaviour. He thought, that's really good, I've got rid of this guy. Then he realised that no one appreciated what he'd done, including the slaves, so he was off into the desert for 40 years. Well, that's long haul, isn't it? That's long haul. But he returned after 40 years because God had to remake that man. He had to remake it, remould him, get his attitude sorted out, go into the desert for a place of silence. So, you know, for us, we think, well, I've got 40 years left. But perhaps Moses didn't think he had 40 years left either. He didn't know how long he was going to live. How could he know? He thought he'd been exiled and he was 
effectively finished in that ministry. But of course he wasn't. And he came back incredibly powerfully. So <clears throat> we have to build dependency on God through that time of waiting. And de- building that dependency is something that not, is not necessarily easy, but must be done. We have to do it. We don't have a choice. God is loving. He has a care and a purpose behind everything that he does. His judgment and timing is perfectly good. He gets it spot on. God is actually a very, very precise God. You know that He's razor sharp in everything that he does. He doesn't make mistakes. He says in Philippians 4.19 that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I said that earlier. I never stop. You see, we've got to decide who and how we are. In the time of waiting, if you're in the doctor's surgery, okay, you're going into the doctor's surgery to tell him about all your problems, your health problems, this problem, that problem, whatever it is, that's the doctor's, and that's why you... But are we in the doctor's surgery waiting for God? Or are we in the interview room waiting to tell the people interviewing us how good we are? Okay? There's two types of room. And I suggest we need to be in the interview room where we're able to explain everything about ourselves to that person so that they would understand some of the value that we can bring to that organisation. Okay, I'll put that in a very worldly way. But nevertheless, we have to be people that are strong in what we have and what we know about ourselves. If I went to, I interviewed, I have interviewed many people <coughs> um, over the years, and I'm amazed sometimes how poorly prepared some people are when they come into the interview. I'm actually amazed. It's all, they know about the job title, but when I dig into some of the things that relate to their experience as to whether they can do this job, I'm quite taken aback. I'm usually very kind to people. <laughs> I have to be. But I sort of think to myself, have you actually read this job description? Have you related anything that you've done back to what this is that you've got to do here? Um, can you see yourselves in God that actually we have a job description? Now God has put on your heart and in your lives certain things that he has given you as giftings and no doubt outgoing fruits of the Spirit that you should be able to publicise to the interviewer, me in this case. You should be able to tell me, tell God, about what it is you, you are and what you've done. Some people come into the interview well prepared. They, they think in advance what it is that I'm going to ask them. And I appreciate that. They can't double guess. But nevertheless, you can get orientated in that direction and stream of thought that I might be producing for that interview. So, are we interviewed by God? No. Does God know who we are? Yes. Should we be declaring to God that actually God, you know, I am saved through Jesus Christ. I am your son, your servant, and I ask you to meet my needs. That's the, that's the man and woman in the interview. So, if you want a transformed character, you're going to have to wait a while. But we want to know what it is. Do you actually know what to ask God for, I wonder? Sure, you'll ask God for... First thing is, God, I need more money. That's the first thing that comes to most people. Increase my wealth. I understand that. We understand that. We often have financial challenges, and you have a right to ask God for that. But you know, God actually quite often starts with your character before he starts with your wealth. He starts there. And those two can be quite apart, can't they? Because your character can be formed by what it is you want, and your possessions more so, and that can tell you something about the character. But in practice, what it is, is God looking at you and, you, and, and what it is and that friendship he has with you. So, there's a few things you could ask God for, if you're not clear, if you've been sort of waiting and not sure what to do next. Ask him for strength. God says he'll give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. So if you don't feel strong, ask him for strength. Guidance. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. So ask God for guidance. I think actually it's something I probably do ask God for quite a few times because I need it. God, what am I doing next? What am I meant to do next? How should I operate in this way? How should I speak? 
We do need guidance. Are you confident? Are you a confident person? And what, sort of, and what is that confidence? Is that an aggressive confidence? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 I can do everything in him who gives me strength. Can you do everything? Could you drive an F1 Formula car next week? If that's your desire? You probably could get in the cockpit. I don't think you'd drive it anymore. I could drive it. But God actually gives you strength and confidence for everything. And you need to be asking him. Ask him for confidence. Because quite often we can feel quite caught in this world where we, don't f- we feel everyone else can speak better, communicate better, has better vocabulary than us. But actually, you have a great deal within you and it needs to be brought out. Ask God for confidence and courage. This is my commandment. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Sometimes, you know, as Christians, we need to be brave. Did you know that? To be a bit braver. I have the privilege. I, I, I run a Christian football club. You might be wondering what that is. So everyone is angelic running around the football pitch? No, they're not. Okay? Absolutely not. They're the opposite. Um, but we have something like 20 boys turn up and 15 of those boys are Muslims. And we have to... What, what actually happens is we run football for the sake of the gospel. So there's a half-time talk that I give or someone else gives but we don't, and we're not fearful, we talk about Jesus, we talk about sin, we talk about heaven. Do you know Muslims understand sin and heaven quite well, and they also know about the devil. There's a tendency to think they think about other things. That's not true. They understand what I'm talking about, and I also, they also understand about Jesus as well. They're not, incidentally, you know, people that are aggressive and unpleasant. When I, we, we have Muslim parents bring their children to the football pitch, and we're a street club, incidentally, so kids, we get kids, not through recruitment, they come to the fence um, and stand at the fence, just look in, and if I see them, I'll draw them in. i say, do you want to come and play? And we form a team. Sometimes the parents are coming, and I explain very clearly that we are a Christian football club to the Muslim parents. And I tell them, basically, that we don't allow the boys to swear, we don't allow the boys to abuse each other, um, but we will give a half-time talk about the gospel, about you know, whatever God is actually speaking to us today about. Do you know, I haven't had one of those parents say, oh, we're not interested. What they say, well, we're Muslim, can we join? It's the opposite. You see, our perceptions of the world are that, you know, they're anti-us and we're anti-them. That's, not, that's absolutely not true. And some of the best-behaved boys are the Muslim boys. Because they too, like us, want discipline in the lives of their boys. They don't want their boys on the street. That's a fact. That's the opposite of what they want. They love their children, and they want them developed. And we've seen several, if not many, boys who actually, we know, have stabilised their lives through the discipline of the club that they've evolved in. Because we can't do that. They do that together. They had a football match last Saturday against Queen's Park Rangers. Okay, That's Queen's Park Rangers' youth team against our youth team. And we massacred, once again, 6-1. Okay? <laughs> And we had a match against them four weeks ago. That was the first match. And we were massacred 8-2. Okay? But what is it teaching the boys? Okay? Patience. They're not as good as they think they are. They're not as good. And they know it now. And yesterday they realised... And it's, if you're not interested in football, I know it's a bit boring. But it was one all at half-time. Okay? And the, 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 the little t- our team is called Aslan from Narnia. All right? The lion. And they were 1-0 up at half-time. But they lost it in the second half. Why? Because they're not fit. These boys from Queen's Park Rangers, they're fit. They're trained. This lot, our lot, you know, oh, we'll just rock up, we'll do what we like. It doesn't work like that. So all I'm saying is, I lost my... Th- oh, sorry, I drifted off there. Um, I was talking about being brave. We are brave to speak the gospel to anyone who will hear. And you need to be brave. Don't be put up as saying you can no longer preach to people in the street. That's nonsense. Okay? You still have great freedoms in this country. You can speak to whoever you encounter. Whoever God puts in front of you, you speak to them. In a loving, gentle, understanding way. Okay? We don't ram the gospel down the throats of these boys, but we're not he- we will not hesitate to tell them 
about the need for them to work together and to know that they have a God that loves them. We will tell them consistently. My time is running away a little bit here, isn't it? Um, two more things. Peace. Ask God for peace. And ask God for freedom from fear. So many people are fearful. They're anxious. Declare and ask God for freedom from fear. Okay? You have a right to ask Him that. Do you know that? Lord, take fear from me. Fear comes from the enemy. We know that. But God, our God of peace of love, He is not fearful. <coughs> I wanted just to conclude by just talking a little bit about um, this whole question of um, what we do within church. We talk about claiming the promises of God. We talk about the need to wait. But also within church, we, we take all of those things. And God should be speaking to you about your individual ministries. Because as you declare to God, these are the things I need to do. I wonder, could I dare even ask you, not ask you to tell me, but during your lifetime, you should have at least one ministry in your lifetime. If you're a Christian, you need at least one ministry. It's not a job. I'm not talking about jobs. Too many people talk about, I'll do a job in the church. Please don't use that word job. I hate the word job. You have a ministry. Ministry can extend widely from someone speaking at the front to preparing with coffee and tea I consider that to be a total ministry, so important. I can tell you, most men will not survive the day unless they get a cup of tea. So that's the end of it. They need it. Just those whole thing of ministries within the church refresh the church. There are lots of things that we have to do. If I could just tell you that, and you know, I consider me quite an ordinary person, in the churches I've been in, I've been on church security. Can you imagine, I'm the bouncer at the front of the church. <laughs> Nonsense really, isn't it? But I was there to give security to the church, to stop not people coming in, but people who might want to disrupt, disrupt the service coming in. I never spotted anyone, because obviously when I was there, they're all afraid of me, and no dodgy people came in. I've led several Alpha courses with Peggy. We've taken through several times from beginning to end. I've been a deacon in a church. I've been involved in outreach. I've been a Bible study leader. And I'm not telling you this to tell you about myself. I'm just saying there's a range of things that you can do. You're very capable people. I've been a small group leader. I've been teaching, and I used to run a class on how to welcome within the church, how to develop friendships in the church, and how to understand your giftings in church. I've been on discipleship courses. I told you about the football. Basically, we step in where there is a need within our church community. We step in. So I, if I could just tell you, I just stepped in. I just had a go. I didn't have to wait for God to tell me to do those things because biblically, they're the correct thing to do. You go do them. You participate, you join, you, you get together with other people. I've been on leaflet leafleting. Peggy and I have been leafleting the area for healing rooms. Maybe we should have brought some leaflets with us for Hope Church. Did you have any? Uh, so, we're very happy to do that. Be happy people that take on things that aren't always convenient. So, if you've not volunteered, and I'm saying that to you and I'm saying it to me, volunteer to take on ministry. Because everything that you believe God has asked you to do is a ministry. But you are actually located in a tremendous position. Do you know there aren't many churches where you get rush hour traffic in the morning and the evening and they're forced to look at this building? They just have to. That's a fact. Your location is actually quite unique. There are very few buildings around that are quite in this spot, you know? So, you know, perhaps one day on the rush hour in the evening you should just, as a crowd, stand outside and sing praises to God to the traffic going past. I'm kidding, but serious at the same time. There's so many things that you can do. Do you know in Perivale, there aren't many churches? I was looking this up before I came. How many churches there are in Perivale? Well, actually, there aren't very many. There are 340,000 people in the London Borough of Ealing. There's less than five churches <coughs> in Perivale. So there's a tremendous catchment area that you're living in, as I am on the other side of Ealing. 
And if you consider, I look, I looked at look this thing up on the website. Instead, to look at London Borough Beacon has a website of all the churches. It isn't kept well up to date. There's probably a hundred churches in the borough, and I don't know how accurate the number that is. And of course, you're one of them. And you have tremendous potential in this area. I think the potential of this building, of the people here, is just enormous. I would say, just listening to your worship this morning and listening to just the way you're interacting, you actually are well positioned because God is going to actually move you forward and change everything that perhaps you've known more recently into a new beginning and a new openings and new ways of outreaching within this area. You've had some had tremendous giftings, blessings, you've extended this building. Um, and what about the volunteers that you have running this place? Who, the volunteers that you have running Café Rendezvous? I think it's tremendous work. You open it, I think it's two, three days a week. Open it five days a week. But you're going to need volunteers to do that. And those volunteers move into ministry in that area. There aren't any cafes that give away coffee free that I know of. And incidentally, I boast of you, because I know about you, and I talk to other people in other churches, and they say, Does it? No, they, when I say no, they must be mad in that church, you know? If we did it, they'd skin us alive. And I sort of think to myself, well, no, they've not been skinned alive here. It's an outreach to people in this area. It's a blessing to the people in the area, and a blessing to bring healing to people in this area. Because you are blessing this area. So, I said, are we here for the long haul? If I could just finish with something. How can a young person, and this is from um, Psalm 119. I'm not going to read it. It's the longest psalm um, in the Bible. So I'm not going to read that. I'm just going to read one section from, from verse 9 to 14. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth, and I rejoice in following your statutes. So we live according to the word, and according to his statutes, so that we can do his purposes in this place. Thank you.